0: We've talked over the past couple of weeks about the death process and what comes after death. And given the fact that dying is a universal experience, I mean, we all die, right? Everyone dies. And especially given the fact that it's meant to be a joyous transition back to where we really have a home, it's astonishing that most people in Western societies still know so little about death. And the Luddite attitude of Modern mainstream science is a big part of the problem. In spite of all the evidence that life continues, there is literally nothing after death in the minds of scientists. And that makes Westerners want to hide death away Why they whitewash it, make it all about physical death, undertakers viewing a prettied up dead body. And then after that, they tell us there's nothing. But as we said last week, the period right after death is actually the most fun you ever have had in your life, I swear. And it turns out that people on the cusp of dying seem to know that. Contrary to what so many people expect, as we approach our death, even if it's an accidental death, generally a peace comes over us. So now that we've looked freshly at death and the afterlife, you know, let's let's explore that moment that comes between life and death. Deborah Diamond, PhD, she's got a fancy title, is a former Wall Street money manager, a Johns Hopkins University professor, and regular CNBC commentator who left a high-profile life to pursue a life of spiritual purpose. She had an unconventional transformational experience in 2008, we're going to hear about that, that helped her to develop unconventional powers as a psychic medium, medical intuitive, and healer. Now she offers psychic mediumship and mental intuitive readings, medical rather intuitive readings, and energy healing and consultations. And she has written two books, Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers, and the one we're going to talk about today. It's called Diary of a Death Doula, 25 Lessons the Dying Teach Us About the Afterlife, I have to tell you, I had never heard of a death doula until I read this book, but I don't, now I think everybody ought to have one. What a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to do for other people and a fascinating thing, I think, for the person who is doing it. Welcome, Deborah. I'm delighted to have you here today. Oh, thank you so
1: much, R- Roberta, and thank you for that very comprehensive and generous uh, introduction. Um, you did such a nice job of defining <laughs> and you know, setting the – Framework for the work that I do and the work that you do as well
0: Well, I, I think that it's very important we, we begin get which you are very much we get very serious about this work Because it's, it's as real as anything anyone could possibly study and people are desperate as you know for this Information, but I want to hear about your your a little bit about your career But a lot about what is what was this experience you had?
1: Uh, okay, Roberta. So um, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, as you mentioned in your intro, um, I'm a former Wall Street money manager. Uh, I was a regular commentator on CNBC and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Um, I had an a ultra-conventional life that was primarily left-brain oriented because there aren't too many, you know, the conversation about psychics and mediumship really just never enters the foray on Wall Street. Yes. Um, and uh, so – uh that was that was my experience largely. That's what I trained for to be a money manager and to work in investments and finance. Um however, when I worked in that business, and I did it for a long time, um, I always sort of knew things. Um, you know, in other words, we would get uh as um, large stacks, these big stacks of mail, two or three times a day, and it would be a pile of prospectuses and annual reports and um 10 K's and, you know, all research reports. And we were expected to read all of it, of course. And um, I never, uh, you know, it was where where I would be able to pick up a prospectus and without reading it, I would know about the company. I would know about the management team, the product, if it would be a good investment or not. Now,
0: you know, I had I violate some SEC rule. Don't you think it must? <laughs> do you, do you do that stuff?
1: Well, you know, it's a funny thing because um, I didn't know at uh, at the time why I kind of you know had knew you know had this information, um, and uh, I was actually reading something yesterday, uh, some quotes by some other money managers, some famous money managers who talked about what a, uh, the role that intuition—that's what they call it—they don't call it being psychic—the role that intuition plays in money management. So you know, I'm—I don't think I'm the only one to have this. But again, uh, the terms psychic and mediumship are just not part of the vocabulary on on Wall Street. Clearly. So I, uh, you know, that was that was my work. I did very well, um, and um, uh, my boss used to say to me, "You know, Deborah, you have really good instincts." So I just assumed. That, that was the answer. You know, I had 20 balls in the air that I was juggling. I didn't really have time to philosophize about it. And there was really nobody to talk to about what this could be anyway. So, um, I just assumed it was good instincts, instincts. Um, it wasn't until 2007 when I attended a, an intuition development class in New York because I thought I had good intuition. It'd be fun to tune it up. Uh, that things started to, um, shift. Um, in this class, I, it was, uh, there were about 25 people in the class, men and women. I didn't know any of them. Uh, I came up from, uh, I don't live in New York, I live in Maryland, so I came up from Maryland for this weekend class, and uh, it lasted from, sa- it was Saturday and Sunday, and uh, Saturday morning we did a few exercises, and I was getting everything. Now, I wasn't too concerned because they were fairly low-key exercises, but then we took a break, and when we returned from the break, the teacher said, now we're going to do a seance. And you can imagine. Right, exactly. I mean, (laughs) you know, how would you like to have that sprung on you? You know, so uh, I was not, you know, that was not something that I at all wanted to do. I was very leery of it. I was frankly afraid of doing something like that. But then I thought, well, it was Saturday morning and the class went through Sunday afternoon. So let's just do this one you know, one seance, and then we'll exercise, and then we'll go on to the next exercise. And I figured nothing's going to happen anyway. So the teacher said, I'm going to put you all in a meditative state and then bring you out of the meditation. And if you see anyone, you let me know. I'll tell you what to do. So I thought, well, that doesn't pertain to me. I'm not going to see anyone. So I meditated, and then she brought us out of the meditation and, you know, by the way, nothing extraordinary happened in the meditation uh, for me, but she brought us out of the meditation, and she said, does anyone see anything? And I looked around the room, and everyone was staring at each other, and I raised my hand, and the teacher said, yes, Deborah, what do you see? And I said, I see about 50 people. Now, these are people who had passed. Oh my um, goodness. Sta- yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. So um, I... uh was seeing people, uh, family members of mine who had passed. I was seeing um, people who had passed who were associated with the other students in the room. And then I was just seeing some random people, like a couple 42nd Street showgirls who were just kind of prancing through the room.
0: Now, were yep. these people solid? Did they look like they were real?
1: They looked like they were real. You know, the way I describe it is if you've ever had a dream and, you know, you, maybe you've seen someone in a dream, that's what it's like. In your mind's eye, you see them. And they were – they were not only looked real, but they spoke to me. And, um, you know, they were dressed in, you know, certain clothes, appropriate clothing, and um, just looked like they were here. And they seemed very eager to communicate um, the teacher said, if you see anyone in the corner of the room, that means they probably go with someone sitting in that corner. So I said, well, I do see someone in the corner. And the teacher asked me to describe that person. And I said, well, he had uh, black hair parted in the middle, big handlebar mustache, and big white teeth. And as I described him, the woman sitting in that corner began to sob. And she oh. said, I can identify him. That was my fiancé. He died two years ago. Oh, my. Yeah. So she, the the woman in the corner asked me if she could show me pictures on her cell phone during the break and if I would be able to identify him from the pictures. And I said, of course, because it, he was so clear to me. I mean, I still see him. So um, during the break, she came over, and she flipped through some pictures on her cell phone, and I said, stop there. That's him. And she said, Yes. That's my fiance. Now, she had wanted to hear from him. She was desperate to hear from him. It had been two years, but she had not had any communication from him. So she was very grateful to me for making this connection. Now, remember, I come from Wall Street. She gave me a big hug. And she thanked me. And, uh, you know, there are no hugs on Wall Street and there are no thank yous <laughs> either. So I was, you know, I, I recognized that I had done something very significant for her, very unlike, you know, anything that I'd encountered in my career on Wall Street. Nobody ever thanks you for anything on Wall Street. There are no thank yous or hugs there. So uh, I continued in that class the rest of the weekend. And there are sort of more things happening for me because at this point now I had opened up some sort of doorway. Um, By Sunday evening, I was totally overwhelmed. I drove back home and on my way back home, I called my youngest son. I have three sons, but my youngest one is very left brain, very logical. And so I called him and I asked, I told him what had happened and he listened to me. He didn't say a word as I told him, you know, what transpired. And when we were all, when I was done, he said, well, we're just energy and the energy has to go someplace. So when he put it in that context, this yeah. sort of pseudo-scientific spiritual context, that was something I could understand. You know, yeah. we weren't talking about ghosts. He didn't say I was crazy. He didn't say it didn't happen. He, you know, he <laughs> put it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I, got it. Now, that's not to say that I felt entirely comfortable because as anybody who's had one of these extraordinary experiences knows um, it's not something you talk about. It takes a long time to integrate it. And so I didn't talk to anybody about it, and I really didn't know what context to put it in. Um, it wasn't until – it was sometime in the future until uh, it started to I, – I was able to work with the energy. And what happened was um, that summer I went to Taos, New Mexico. I don't know if you've ever been to Taos, Roberta, but – I haven't um, been, no. Oh, okay. Well, it's – it's a um, highly—it's a high, highly vibrational uh, community. Um, it's very spiritual. There are a lot of artists and writers and musicians. They say if the mountain loves you, Taos Mountain, then you stay. Um, I had been to Taos a number of times in the past, and I decided that summer after this incident in the class, I decided to go out there to paint for a couple months. I'm—I'm I'm also a painter. I didn't associate it with the class. I was just going out there to paint. I rented a place for two months, and I happily painted for two months. At the end of the two months, I said, well, I'm not going back. I didn't know why I wasn't going back. I just knew I wasn't going back east. So I rented another place, and I stayed. And I ended up staying for a number of years. And that's a very common theme in Taos. When you ask Taos Senos, how long have you been here? They say, oh, I came for a weekend 20 years ago. Yeah,
0: so, yeah. I think there are ley lines through there. I think that that's one reason it's so spiritual. And I don't understand ley lines, l e y ley lines, right. Right. but apparently they they are very much um, a foci of, of spiritual activity. So um, that's uh, that's one reason uh, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, that area is so full of spiritual people. But so now you you first encountered the whole death doula process. It was your dad who was dying, right? Or no, it was your mother.
1: It was my mother. Yes. Um, Yeah, and that's the first time that I'd actually ever been around anyone who was dying. I mean, prior to that, my idea of death was something that you might see in the movies, you know, where um, the universe, a bolt of lightning might strike, and then the universe would open up and reveal all its secrets. And as anybody who's been around someone who's dying knows, that's not at all what the process is like. It is a process, like birth. And, um Anyway, I was you know, when my mom passed away, when she was uh, dying, we had hospice come to the house to help us, and um, they were just wonderful. As anyone who's worked with hospice knows, they're really angels. And at the time that my mom was dying, I w- uh, one of the hospice professionals handed me a piece of paper and said, you might want to read this. And I thought, well, maybe it has to do with funeral arrangements or maybe medication. I kind of set it aside. But eventually, when I picked it up, And read it, it said, if the body's ready and the soul isn't, you don't die. If the soul is ready and the body isn't, you don't die. When the soul is ready and the body's ready, then you die. So, you know, I I read that and I thought, wow, this is like a lot more than I expected from hospice. And And I had to really think about that, because this hospice professional was telling me that death is a process that involves body and spirit. It's not just about the body dying. So I thought about that, and I actually thought about it for about 15 years. I knew that I wanted to be of service. I knew I wanted to do something with hospice, and... Eventually, I trained to become a death doula. Now, as you mentioned at the top of the show, not everybody is familiar with what a death doula is. Many people know what birth doulas are. Right. Birth, right birth doulas sit bedside. you know, they're midwives. They help women bring life into the world. And death doulas help usher life out. Now, uh, death doulas are a fairly new service, although people have sat in vigil bedside for thousands of years, but only recently has it become institutionalized. Um, Death doulas, because they are a new service, there isn't a standard yet, so there are some doulas who get involved with funerals and wills. There are some doulas, death doulas, who get involved with legacy projects and families. Um, I'm a death doula who sits bedside with the actively dying. And actively dying means in the last 24 to 48 hours of life. Now, the doctors don't always get it wrong. You know, people have, I'm sure many of your people in your listening audience have had the experience of having a doctor say, your loved one, you know, is only going to be here for a few more hours, and that loved one is still there a month later, and vice versa. So that's because it's a process, right? You know, you can't just um, base it on a physical exam sometimes. So um, I knew that I could sit bedside with the actively dying because I'm a medium, I'm a psychic and a medium. Mediums are different than psychics. Mediums are able to connect with those who've passed. So, you know, as part of my work, I connect with people who've who died. So, I knew that I'd be able to sit with somebody who was dying because to me, that's a normal part of my world. Yeah. So, um so, you know, eventually as I said, I trained to become a death doula and to sit with the actively dying. What
0: I love about your book is there are 25 things listed there and you have you know you talk about them um, that you learned lessons one through lesson 25 that you learned from the people that you were helping and every one of them is something which i can independently verify to be true from my own research mm-hmm. this is one of the things i love about doing this work that there is so much truth in it that you can verify in so many different ways and i really recommend your book to everyone listening if you want to know more about the the whole everything that surrounds death so you're more comfortable with it um this book is absolutely true i can say tell you it's true because i knew all this stuff before i read the book and you added fortunately little details that, um, that I would, that helped me even better understand what I had already come to understand. But this is right on. This is Deborah. This is totally right on. And what I'd like to know, what is, what, what are some of the things you most, maybe surprised you most or excited you most that you were learning from the dead hmm. or dying?
1: Yeah. Well, there, you know, the, thank you so much, uh, by the way, for, um, saying all the, lovely things about the book and, and so many people have reached out to me to tell me that they found comfort and support in the book and, and, um, that they've had, they've lost loved ones and, wish that they had had a doula with them, you know, at end of life. Um, And uh, many people have also reached out to me to tell me that they want to become doulas. So, you know, I think it's um, some, uh, the book is something that will open up the conversation further. And I'm very happy about that because that's one of the things that I wanted to do. You know, as you said earlier, people don't talk about death. There's a stigma around it. There's a taboo around it. They're scared to, they're scared to death of it. So, um, you know, I, I think having this book out there and trying to normalize some of the things that happen at end of life I think is helpful for all
0: of us. It certainly uh, is, yes. Yeah.
1: So in terms of some of the lessons, you know, there are there are many. Some of them are quite uh, normal, and, you know, some of them deal with um, families, you know, of hospice patients because families need support too. Um, and some of them deal with, uh, you know, the metaphysical Um so, you know, I, you, Roberta, you have a background in um, near-death experiences as well. And I, I'm correct
0: in, in saying that, right? Well, I've never had one. I mean, I've, I've studied you, them. So. you studied I, them. Yeah. I, I have had, yes. But the, they're actually a different experience from, from actual death. It's a different process. Um, a near-death experience can lead to death. If people choose to uh you know not come back, but mostly people come back, and the dead tell us it's always a one way trip, so the people you were helping were going you, this is going to be their 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 trip back home um and that is something which I think it is very helpful for people to understand because most people die and they go home and um, it's, if, if you're going to sit, if someone is going to sit at the side of bedside of a loved one, it's so good to have some of the the, the insights that that you share. Um, some of them fascinate me, though. You said lesson nine: living well is at the sacred center of life and death. Can you talk about that?
1: Sure, I'd be happy to. I just want to I I just want to say one thing about near death experiences, which is why I brought the topic up. Um, my first book, um, Life After Near-Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing and Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers, um, is a book about near-death experience after effects. But in the process mm-hmm. of researching that book and researching consciousness, which I do, um, I have over the years spoken to thousands of people who've had NDEs, and you asked about something that surprised me about death, sitting bedside at hospice as a doula. Um, Something that surprised me was you know so many aspects of the near death experience are also featured in actual physical death, but the yes. near death experience is sort of like the highlights to the movie you know the previews to the movie because people are meant to come back from that experience it 's a teaching experience they 're yes. meant to return uh, with actual physical death they go on so The experience that people have at end of life when they're actually terminally dying is much more embellished. They have, they do the journeying. They, they transition. Their consciousness expands. But, um, it's, the, the experience is much more full-blown and much more involved. Um, I, you asked about, um, uh, what surprised me. And I want to also answer that. Um, I think the most, profound um lesson that I've I learned and this is not explicitly stated in the book but it sort of is but um at end of life and also with ndes to a certain extent patients travel they're outside of their body and they journey uh, at end of life. They leave their body, and they journey, perhaps, to favorite places from their past. They may meet loved ones in spirit. They may visit their new home on the other side. They're out of body, and they journey. Now, um, as they continue to journey, their consciousness expands as their physical body declines, until at, at the point of uh, terminal physical death, they're Physical body is no longer of any use, but their consciousness has fully bloomed. Now, I spoke with a friend of mine who's a hospice um, chaplain in New Mexico, and uh, she asked me she asked me about what were the most salient points in the book. And I mentioned this to her, and she said, "You know, now she she sees patients on the front end of hospice. You know, patients who are just coming into hospice and they're responsive." They may talk to each other. They may uh, listen to music. They may do crossword puzzles. Um, the patients that I sit with are not responsive. In the last 24 to 48 hours, the patients are, they're they're unresponsive, but they're not unconscious. Okay? Yeah. So um, when I mentioned this to my friend, the chaplain, you know, that that your consciousness blooms as your physical body declines, she said to me, you know, that makes sense because I see my patients, and I see them after they journey, and every time they come back, they're a little bit different. So, you know, that is your consciousness expanding and growing and blooming and blossoming, and your physical body declines. So, you know, that again circles back to this idea that it's a process, the body and the spirit. Um, And that, I think, is the most profound lesson of all of this, because that equates to the fact that we don't die. That we continue, that death is a part of a continuum, death as we, as we define it. Somebody asked me recently in a podcast, they said, are people in the afterlife up there saying, Oh, I'm dead? And I'm like, No, not at all. I mean, birth and death are terms that we throw around here on earth and they are associated with the physical body. You know, when somebody emerges from the womb, you know, we convey light, we, you know, declare life has been born. You know, life has come into the world. And when someone dies at the end of life, dies in our physical terminology, we could, we affirm that that is the end of us. But, you know, in the afterlife, people who, who physically pass but continue to exist, their energy continues to exist, um, They're not up there thinking I'm dead. They're more alive than ever. (laughs) They're much more alive than they are here. What's funny,
0: though, is sometimes they joke about it. Um, They're having a good time, by and large. Yes. This is a lot of fun for them. Um, One woman said to a medium, I had no idea it was going to be so much fun to be dead. (laughs) It's it's like a totally non-threatening word to them because obviously they are, as you say, more alive than ever.
1: Well death doesn 't exist in the afterlife because we, we yeah, are pure exist. energy we are pure energy and we yeah. exist as pure energy, and energy doesn 't die you know yeah. so it 's just that our energy has has been magnified, and um that 's why it's more you know we 're more alive than we are on earth because it 's magnified to some
0: infinite possibility actually what what happens um with, sort of the other side of this. Is that um we come to earth with a with a we think about twenty percent maybe less of our vast eternal minds in and the part that is really designed for rapid spiritual learning and as you point out, as we are getting ready to go home, that begins to expand once we have begun the transition at some point before we usually before we get there. We rejoin our vast eternal mind, and that is an experience which is really extraordinary. Because suddenly we have all these memories, and we feel so smart, and it's just it's it's magnificent to to rejoin your your eternal mind. Um, but it's something that uh, I don't think it I. We can't pinpoint, and it's, as you know, it's a different experience for everybody to die. But for most people, it seems to happen after they have, the silver cord has broken and they have left their body and it's dead. But before they really fully transition to the summer land, it's, it's a, but it's a great experience. And as you point out, it starts really before they even rejoin their, their eternal mind. It starts as their body is declining and their, um, they they're, they're sort of beginning to live beyond all of this. Did you ever see anybody with terminal lucidity? I'm wondering. That's a question I wanted to ask you.
1: I have not, but I I know others who have. Um, you know, most of the patients that I'm with, as I said, they are unresponsive and they remain that way. Yeah. Um, but um, I know you know I know a number of cases where the uh, patient in the last moments of life has uh, opened their eyes and, you know, said something. In some cases, something quite profound. Yes. Uh, I yeah. was talking to a woman who was telling me that she was sitting bedside with her mother at hospice and she and her mother used to talk a lot about, you know, is there anything more after death? And her mother kept seeing someone at the foot of her bed and the mother was saying to her daughter, you know, I keep seeing this lady at the foot of my bed, but I have no idea who she is, but she keeps appearing. This was somebody in spirit. Yes. And, and the daughter said, well, you know, Mom, you do so much genealogy work it's probably somebody you know family member that you just never met but anyway uh as it got very near the end her mother was uh, um unresponsive and then she opened up her eyes and she said to her daughter there's more this wait there's more and then she died (laughs) so um you never got to hear what the more was (laughs) well you can only imagine (laughs) yes yes but um you know there are there are those cases of terminal lucidity but again you know i haven't seen them now one thing that happens with me is not all death doulas have patients who uh expire on them but for some reason i've <laughs> i've had a number of them who who do and i sometimes wonder if that's because i you know sort of am, am in that world and maybe i provide a level of comfort to let them know that it's okay you know, yeah, I don't really know the answer for that,
0: but well, um, I, I think I can provide a bit of an answer. You probably are a, are, are a comfort. You're probably um, you seem to be a kind, safe person to be with. Um, it's a well known phenomenon that people who are dying would much prefer to die alone. Um, they certainly don't want their loved ones nearby because uh, that it's a time of danger. They can be distracted from continuing their journey, and they can end up earthbound. But they'll wait, they'll wait and wait and wait until there's a minute when nobody's there. But if they honor you with ha- with not needing to wait till you're gone too, I think that's really a beautiful thing. That says something wonderful about you.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, you're correct in that. Um, you know, y- there's so many stories you hear about families sitting in vigil, you know, for days yes. and weeks, yes. and somebody's always there in case mom goes, and then and then they get up to get a cup of coffee. Yes. And, and that's when they leave. You know, I mean, yes. death can be a very private moment. It,
0: it seems to be, yes. Yeah, yes.
1: and I think, you know, it also confirms that our senses are much more intact at end of life than uh, medical doctors, you know, in the healthcare system gives us, you know, reason to believe. Um, I think the, the dying can register presences in rooms. I think they can register time. I think they can register, um, they hear things. I mean, I think most of their senses are intact. Yes. Um, although. In the you know, for instance, in our training, we were told that hearing is the last sense to go. But I'm I'm not sure about that because they they seem to be able to register time and other things as well. Um, so you know that that what you're referring to though of you know people deciding to leave when everybody leaves the room that's common. There are also people who want to have everybody around them. You know they wait till everybody's there, or they wait till that last person arrives. So it's a very individual thing. There is no sort of one size fits all. We die the same way we live. You know, it's however you are as a person, you just continue as you are. And that's true on the other side as well. People, their personalities are intact on the other side.
0: I think that's another thing that it's important for people to understand. Uh, Many people... Uh, believe that they'll suddenly be nicer after they die. They'll have, you know, maybe they'll be wiser. All of the things that we kind of wish for ourselves, well, when I'm dead, I'll be. No, we really are pretty much the same people after we die, including what we might think of as flaws. The difference is we know things which we don't know here. We're certain about the fact that life is eternal all is love, and there's really nothing to be afraid of. So I think that transforms us quite a bit in the period after death.
1: Well, you know, some of the human emotions that I think are attributed to our senses um, don't exist on the other side because we don't have those physical senses. Right. That's and right. we're, we exist as a, such a high form of energy, you know, that that we call love, Um It's incompatible with certain things like anger and jealousy. It just doesn't exist. So, you know, people often ask me, you know, what about this person that I knew here or this relative I knew here who was this and that and the other thing, you know, wasn't maybe a very nice person. A lot of those people, when I read for people, I, you know, I will sometimes see this person coming in and they generally want to do good they do That's want to right. do, you, know, you know they want to like make amends and yeah. you know one time i was reading for someone a, a daughter and she and i said to her i have your father here father in spirit and she said oh no i don't want to i don't want to talk to him he's mad at me and i said oh. i think i think it's okay and then her father said to me oh those were earth problems
0: yes yes yeah, so it's you know they have a different perspective very much so and, and most lives are planned. And when we make the plans with people maybe who are part of our soul group, we will, sometimes they will plan to be a thorn in our side for this particular lifetime. And that's a gift to us. So when people have their party, sometimes some of the people who arrive are people they recognize as, a, you know, a horrible ex-husband or whatever. But they, but they're, but they really, you realize that that was just an act. They were just play acting. And we really all of us are so much closer together and so much more perfectly loving with everybody else than we can imagine here. I mean there's so much division between people uh in in the this material material universe that just does not exist, as you point out. Right um, once we've transitioned.
1: Well, yeah, because the things that are important to us on earth are not important to us no. in the afterlife. You know, people no. place right. a lot of attachment to certain Ideas here on Earth that just don't exist in the universe. They they're only existing in a material world.
0: I I, I wonder too. Um, do you have much trouble dealing with the loved ones of people who are dying? How how do they typically take the process? Um, I suppose it matters when, how old a person is, and what the circumstances are.
1: Well, I think no matter when death occurs, most people aren't prepared for it. Um, you know. Many people have never been around anyone who's dying, so they don't know how to act. Many people have never stepped foot in hospice, so they really don't know how, what they're supposed to do there. I mean, I've had friends and family members come into the rooms and say, what am I supposed to do? You know, should oh. they, they just don't know what to do. They're very uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable around death. They're, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to act. Um, I don't see... That many family members and friends, generally, because for for a couple reasons. One is sometimes they just don't come. Once somebody's admitted to hospice, people, or, uh, relatives and loved ones are sometimes frightened, uh, or they want to remember mom as she used to be. So and they don't they, come. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't come.
0: Oh my word! How, do, how does a person dying take the fact that nobody wants to be there?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't have. The answer to that, but I I feel like at the stage where I'm sitting with these patients, they are out of their body for you know a great deal of the time, and they're you know they're they're having a lovely time. So
0: you don't care. I'm so glad those boring people didn't come. Now I'm all with these people who are dead, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Also,
1: I mean, people will sometimes say to me, you know, when uh, they have a reading with me, they're like, "Oh, I feel so guilty because I didn't go visit Mama." in hospice, and I'm like, you know, mom was out of her body, and when you're out of body, you could see everything, so mom saw that you were at home crying, or mom saw that you felt you didn't know what to do, I mean, and mom understands, so, um, you know, there's just so much more to it than just putting it all on this, you know, body that, lo- lying in a bed that looks like one's home, um. But, yeah, sometimes they don't come, and and then sometimes they come, but, again, they don't know what to say. And then other times they come, and when they come to the room, that's oftentimes when I will leave, you know, unless they want to talk. Sometimes they want to talk. Sometimes they just want to have somebody to unbur- unburden themselves to, or they might just want to talk about their loved one. And I think sometimes that that has to do with the fact that they want others to understand that mom used to be this kind of person. Mom was a yes. very active person, yes. and you know they want us to see mom as she was, not just you know somebody lying in a in a bed, a hospital bed. So it's yeah. it's complicated, but I think that by having these conversations about death and end of life, you know, it will make people, it will help people to understand this is a, you know, this is natural. It's part of life. Um, you know, up until 100 years ago, 150 years ago, death was part of life. People died at home surrounded by their loved ones. But today, I don't know about you, but, you know, for most people, their loved ones are not down the street. They don't live in their neighborhood anymore. Yeah. So... Uh, oftentimes people are taken to hospice or to the hospital, and it can be a clinical kind of antiseptic setting that's, you know, medical. And that is, you know, can be kind of scary. Plus, death is considered a failure, you know, by the medical As establishment. The doctors. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's complex. I mean, the spirit, the soul has been taken away from death.
0: You know, what a, that's an absolutely profound thing to say. That's right. I mean, what the important things about the death process, important in an eternal sense, are ignored by the people that we most trust to help us with our lives and with the things that happen in our lives. So the people like you who are basically trying to put the the balance back, as you put it, the soul back into the death process are really doing a wonderful service for the people and helping people die with more awareness of what a beautiful moment this really is for them. What an they're they're going to the best place they've ever been, and it's going to be more fun than they can imagine. And there you are helping them to to make that transition smoothly. What a wonderful thing! Are more people becoming doulas? They are.
1: It's something that's growing very rapidly. Um, there are training programs for doulas. Some of them are online, and some of them are physical training programs where you can go for a weekend in a particular location. Um, it's, it's growing rapidly because I, you know, I think that baby boomers are reshaping, redefining death. You know, every time baby boomers get involved in something, they have to redo it just to their That's liking. That's right. We <laughs> mess everything up, honestly. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, I like to think that we're making it better, but yeah. Well, Good. <laughs> yeah. thank you well, for that. You know, for we leave our, we leave our stamp on, on things. So, um I think baby boomers want to know you know wait, there are other ways we could do this. it doesn't have to be one size fits all package and and um so you know as a result you've got people now who are saying that they want something more personalized they w- they want to have a doula present or they want to be a doula. they didn't know that that was something that you can do, yeah. so you know um so there's there's a lot more interest in and my guess is there's going to be a huge amount of interest in in you know, training to be a death doula. Now, I have to say that you know, you could train to do it, but you don't know until you're actually doing it how how it's going to go. You know, because uh, there's some things that you can't just don't translate to a classroom, right? Um, so, you know, I, there's a and I mentioned this in the book. There was a, a doula that I trained with who trained to be an end of life doula, um, and uh, the first time someone died on her, she decided she didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah, she just, I, I just didn't see why to... that would be
0: the case. Yeah, um, I think it must help immeasurably, the fact that you are a medium, you know life is eternal, you know nobody dies, so that you are. I would think you could much more peacefully then um, cope with watching a body die because you know the person's not dying.
1: Yeah, that's correct, and it's it's a funny thing because, you know, when I say that, I mean – I think it's normal to talk to dead people. That that just tells me I'm either crazy or, yeah, yeah. or you can get used to anything, right? So, you know, I mean, if you had asked me ten years ago, or when I was managing money, did I think it was normal to, uh, you know, talk to dead people? I would probably, you know, pick up the phone and want to make a phone call to, you know, somebody for emergency, you know, help. But, um, yeah. you know, I this is the work I do, and um, the information that I, that I receive from those who've passed over is confirmed by the sitters in the readings, you know, the people who, who want the readings. And it's, it's really a miracle because I don't know the people I read for and I certainly don't know their dead loved ones. And when someone I read for says to me, that sounds just like mom or that's what mom always used oh. to say or that's mom's favorite dish or the favorite thing she liked to do, I mean, that's confirmation, of course, and, it is. yeah. So you know that tells me there's more. This is not the end. There's more, and you know, after doing this for thousands of people, you know, I just uh, accept that this, you know, that something more exists. Now, yeah. you know, other people who are, you know, now it's interesting. There, are, there are others besides me who are who are in service at hosp- hospice or at hospitals. Um, many of them are nurses, and they see a lot but they aren't sitting around talking about it in, you know, Monday morning meetings um, because it's a medical, you know, kind of. um, Yes. Yep. Establishment. But, um, but they see a lot. I read for a lot of hospice nurses. And the first thing that I see, I don't know that they're hospice nurses, but when they come to me for a reading, the first thing I see are souls all around their crown chakras, just lots of souls. And um, I'll say to them, are you a hospice nurse? And um, I've only gotten it wrong once. Um, I said it to someone, and she said, no, I'm a geriatrician. So oh. I was like, well, that's the same thing. <laughs> right, yeah, kind <laughs> I, of, right, right. It's the same thing. But um, they have these souls who are with them, people who they cared for at end of life who were so grateful for them, for the care that they, and love that they provided, that these souls are still somewhat, you know, hanging out with them. Um, so, but the, you know, these nurses, nurses care for patients in a different way than doctors do. They spend time with them in a different way than doctors do, and they care for them in a different way. And they have very different experiences than doctors do.
0: So we're coming toward the end of our time, believe it or not. It goes so quickly. Um, what, what, can, tell us what you, what, what, what do you want people to take away from learning these things? What, what do you think is most important for us all to understand?
1: I think there's, you know, there's a couple points, Roberta. One is that we continue to exist. Um, the second is that it's so important to have these conversations about death and end of life when we can. Um, I think many people think, ah, I'll, I'll do that next week or next month or next year. Right. Right. And then they don't do it. And I've seen, you know, in hospice, uh, so many people who, didn't want to be in hospice or wanted to die at home or had other wishes, but they never talked about them or they never wrote right. them down. So it's really yeah. important to have these conversations. It's important to have them with your loved ones. It's important to have your wishes, make your wishes known, because if you don't, you know, things aren't going to go the way you wanted them to. So, yeah. I mean, so there's, there's two things that I would leave your listeners with. One is, you know, very basic about, just communication and the other is metaphysical that we continue to exist so you know don't think of death as the end just
0: think of it as a continuation yes beautifully said all right that's wonderful um i i do recommend people read this book because there's a lot of information in it that really isn't available from from any other book that i've ever read i mean i've spent 50 years gathering this stuff and she's put it in all in one book i didn't need to bother deborah because you put it right in your book (laughs) Um, her website is deberdiamond.psychic.com. Yes. Wait,
1: excuse me. It's DebraDiamondPsychic.com.
0: Oh, uh, there's a dot. I have a dot between the diamond and the psychic. There's, no, that that's does,
1: that's my email. That's my email. So the, the, the website is com And all my one email, oh, one word. And then my email is diamond.debra at gmail.com. Okay, that's Yeah, perfect. and people can contact me through my website or by email for readings. I read by Skype, FaceTime, and Zoom. I read long distance. Um, so that's, you know, the best way, though, is to contact me through my website.
0: Perfect. All right. Well, and this will be in the materials, everyone, so you don't have to write it down. If you're in your car, stay. don't write anything down. <laughs> Eyes on the road. This has been lovely. Thank you, Deborah. And my pleasure, Roberta. Thank you. And. the Meanwhile, everyone, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm glad you could be with us today. This is important information. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you really get what that means, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest here for the eighth time, I'm amazed, will be the irrepressible Sandra Champlain. You probably know her story by now. She was so afraid of death that she taught herself, or she learned how to be a medium and how to do electronic communication, all kinds of things, just so she could convince herself. Once she did convince herself that life is eternal, she wrote her wonderful book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And she began her popular podcast, which is We Don't Die Radio, and over the past year, she's been doing many conferences, I don't know how she finds the energy, that include physical medium Scott Milligan from England and leading electronic communications researcher Sonia Rinaldi from Brazil. So please don't miss our conversation, Sandra's and mine. I mean, she to me is an extraordinary, she's my, I see her, think of her as my successor in doing afterlife work. I, I, need, I need one and she's perfect. Of course, this week, we've been talking with Deborah Diamond. She had this extraordinary awakening when she discovered she was really a medium. And then she began to devote herself to helping other people. Um, One of the things she did was to become a death doula, someone who just who helps people transition. And she's the author of Life After Near Death, Miraculous Stories of Healing. This is a long one. And Transformation in the Extraordinary Lives of People with Newfound Powers. And that's an important fact, the fact that when people do have near-death experiences and other extraordinary experiences, it transforms their ability to do a lot of things. Um, The book we've been talking about today is Diary of a Death Doula, 25 Lessons the Dying Teach Us About the Afterlife. I, I love this book. I recommend that you read it. Now, as you know, my nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together. In February of 2020, it will be also The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. Um, I also have children's books, too. and All my adult books are available on Amazon.com, through bookstores, and uh, also, of course, as audiobooks. If you want to talk about anything with me, uh, just send me an email through the contact block on robertagrimes.com. I answer all of my emails. Right now, I think I'm at four days and counting uh, with getting back to the people who've written more complicated ones. But I do the best I can, and it's very important to me that you get the answers that you need. Past episodes of Seek Reality are available on webtalkradio.net, Real Revolution Radio, and a bunch of other places, including all the wonderful wonderful stations in the dream vision seven radio family and there's a seek reality app for free in the itunes store where you can just as simply as as easily as possible get each new episode of seek reality dear friends please understand that i'm just trying to help you to in just a few years maybe a year or two make the journey that took me 50 years to make All the information is available. There are so many people who are working in this field and are eager to help you. So if you really want to convince yourself your life is eternal and thereby transform your life, give it a year or two. That's all you're going to do, uh, all you're going to need to do in order to make the entire uh, journey that it took me, as I say, 50 years to make. So I'm so glad you were here today, and we'll talk soon. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy, please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, in particular, most of all, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the
1: truth changes everything.